A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Guerrero. The 11 Olympic team members slain in West Germany. The Olympic Games. So geheist waren die Brüder in Amerika. Von Kaufen schaffen es es gibt Out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little. It is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide. Rudy Gabber with Jewish History Soundbites, and this episode has been generously sponsored by Chop Holdings in honor of the legend Yehuda Gabber, and all Yidin who died on Kiddush Hashem. That's very sweet, thank you. And today's episode is a little bit different. Um, we're going to be discussing the history of Jewish demographics, in other words, the growth or questions surrounding the growth of the Jewish people um, over the centuries. And um, it's, it's a bit different, first of all, because it's very, very macro. It's going to cover a long range. And also because demographics is not exactly history. Over here, I'm just going to try to do a little bit of the history of demographics and a little bit of what the population growth of the Jewish people throughout history can tell us. Um, and therefore, um, this is going to be a little bit of, of a different uh, idea uh, in this episode. And I hope it comes out okay and everyone enjoys and it answers some questions we may have about the history of Jewish demographics. So first of all, what is demographics? It's simply the size or measuring the size of any given population and anything that those indicators, those those size or number indicators can tell us about a, an ethnic group or nation um, in any given historical scenario. Um, and it's a lot of data analysis. It's a lot of mathematical models and 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 uh, input of data and, uh, and, and using all that. Now, uh, on the math side of demographics, the mathematical models and everything, so this is really not my forte at all. Uh, my math knowledge is quite limited. In fact, when my daughter started coming home, I think it was either third or fourth grade, she started coming home with fractions for homework. So I started referring her to my wife to help her with the homework uh, as uh, that already was too advanced for me. Um, but it's related to history. So the math part, of course, is not my strong point, but the historical part is a very important story. There are all kinds of sciences out there which overlap with history. Demographics is one, archaeology, genealogy, uh, economics, and many others. So when it overlaps with history, so the history element of it has to be covered. I actually did take one course of of Jewish demographics or the history of Jewish demographics at Hebrew University with Professor Uzi Rebhun. It was quite interesting and he's a fantastic demographer and I learned a lot from him. So 
I, I have a drop of experience in it, but one of the greatest researchers of Jewish demographics today is Professor Sergio Della Pergola. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Um, he's an Italian Jew, but he's Israeli now. He's a professor of demographics at the Hebrew University in Yerushalayim. And he has made significant contributions to the topic and deepening our understanding with his research and many publications covering various angles of Jewish demographics and its history. So much of what I will be discussing today is based on the research of Professor Sergio, Sergio Della Pergola, and later on in this episode, I'll actually quote uh, several extensive citations from one of his papers on the history of Jewish demographics. And the impetus of, of me discussing this all together came from a question by a loyal and knowledgeable and dedicated listener um, that why, basically, why aren't there more Jews in the world? Why are there only 14, 15, it's a question how many Jews in the world there are today, and of course that's a contemporary question, and a very contentious debate around the question, because it really belies the other question of who is a Jew. Um, so I'm not going to get into that at all. But whatever the number is that there are of Jews today, um, let's say it hovers around 14, 15 million, give or take a couple of million, but the question is why aren't there so many more? Um, and he elaborated on the question by saying, the Torah tells us that there were 600,000 adult male Jews who left Mitzrayim, in the Tzias Mitzrayim, during the exodus from Egypt, and at the, when, which was the founding of the nation, the birth of the nation. And if you, you know, based on the mathematical models that, uh, that we should have of, of population growth, there should be billions of Jews today, and why isn't there billions of Jews? That's, that was the question, and we want to know, we want to explore what happened through history that there aren't more Jews. Now, what's interesting is that this fellow was very creative, and he told me that he asked a, an AI model, uh, an artificial intelligence, on one of these new programs, he asked them the question, and it, it, spewed out, it, spewed, it, it spat out, it responded with all these mathematical models, that said it should be billions of, of, of Jews, whatever it was, and it basically demonstrated an extreme lack of knowledge of even the basics of world history, the basics of Jewish history, and even of how dem demographics works in general, and I was a bit unimpressed. That's not to say that AI is not a useful tool, but in, as far in regards to this question, I was very unimpressed by how the AI uh, responded to the prompt of why aren't there more Jews in the world. So I hope I do a better job than the AI did. So we're sitting at the crossroads of numbers crunching, like I said, and history. And therefore, on the mathematical side of things, I want to ask a different question. Why are the mathematical models wrong? Why is it wrong to assume that there should be billions of Jews based on the original numbers of the ones who left Egypt so many years ago? So there's several things to take into consideration. One set of factors is relevant to the growth in the general population, nothing to do with Jewish history. And that has to do with fluctuations in the natural growth rate. This has to do also with advances in medicine and technology, or the opposite, lack of hygiene, spread of disease, um, it has to do with wars, it has to do with migration, it has to do with plagues, all kinds of things like that. Um, 
you know, for instance, the Black Death in the 14th century, approximately between a third and half of Europe died. So let's talk about the European general population for a second. Nothing to do with Jews. That's a major factor because it's not just that a third, between a third and half of Europe died during the two years or three years, whatever it was, of the Black Death in the mid-14th century, but that means that the the birth capability, the growth potential of Europe is completely stunted for the next few centuries because you're lacking all that, uh, um, you know, so all that exponential growth that could have been completely disappeared. And it takes literally centuries to recover from something like that. That's just one, you know, outstanding example because the, the it's such a large uh, story there. The other set of factors are relevant specifically to the Jewish population, and that has to do with migration, which the Jews migrated much more frequently than uh, than the general population, and that has to do obviously with also expulsions, pogroms, limitate laws that made put set limitations on marriage and ch- and children, limitations on which professions they can engage in, which obviously has to do with the relation between economics and population growth. There's limitation on their places of residence, where they were allowed to live, which caused you know, problems with hygiene or problems with population growth in general. Then, of course, in more recent history, you have things like the Holocaust and assimilation. Now, I want to elaborate on the importance of two of those factors in far, as far in regards to population growth or lack thereof in Jewish history. Both, I want to, uh, I want to, I want to uh, elaborate on expulsions, on how that affects the birth rate, um, and uh, and population growth, and also assimilation. Uh, first of all, we tend to minimize um, how an expulsion would affect a birth rate and population growth. But expulsions have, are a complete disruption of of, uh, of of Jewish life, of any population's life. We're talking specifically here about the history of Jewish demographics, um, because of the way it uproots the families. It gives you know lack of homes, marriages are pushed off. People don't find people to marry, um, partners to marry for quite some time. Um, it's harder to have children while they're on the road until they settle down. And since expulsions happen with such frequency, I would say that expulsions have a much, much bigger impact on a, a, a negative impact on Jewish population growth through history than a pogrom, um, because expulsions occurred more often and would have a much bigger impact. Even more so is assimilation. Why? Here's another misconception about Jewish history is that we assume that assimilation is a product of the modern era. And we don't recognize ancient assimilations. And there were many, many, many in many different countries, sometimes on the fringes of the Jewish world. And I'm talking about in the Middle Ages and even in antiquity, um, the ancient world. And perhaps I'll get into it in, um, um, from the time of the second base on Mikdash and even earlier and, and on. There were many Jewish communities which either the majority or entirely disappeared. And we can only assume that they disappeared because of assimilation that they simply integrated and eventually intermarried into the surrounding societies. We know that happened to Jews in, um, in, in, in many countries in the Middle East, in the Arabian Peninsula, and Iran, and, and other parts of the uh, in, in Asia in, in the Middle Ages or earlier. 
Um, we know that assimilation was happened all the time. And it's just because communities weren't strong enough or these surrounding societies were very strong. Sometimes it was forced assimilation. In other words, uh, forced conversion, forced assimilation that took place. And I'm not talking about the famous ones of the modern era, of the 18th and 19th centuries in Western Europe and later on in Eastern Europe or the United States of the 20th century. That's the modern era. I'm talking about a long time ago, which we don't talk about as much and is not so well known. And entire communities disappeared over, over history. Um, sometimes it's assumed because we have no more record of them anymore. And sometimes we actually have substantial documentation of it, documenting how the community sometimes either shrunk or even, or, or even disappeared entirely. Some by migration, some by assimilation and integration into the society. So those two factors, expulsions and assimilation, um, as well as general migration, uh, which Jews tended to do more than the general society, and we add to that various economic challenges which can have a negative impact on population growth, population growth as well, have a much greater detrimental and negative impact on population growth than in an occasional pogrom. Obviously, the Holocaust in the 20th century is completely different in size and scope, and that's a different story. That has a dramatic uh, effect on Jewish demographics, but that's already a story of the 20th century. So, um, the, uh, I, I, the, we're going to get to... Um, we're going to get to a couple of more details, but I want to get back to assimilation for a second. First of all, um, I mentioned that there's all these instances of either a presumed assimilation or documented assimilation throughout Jewish history where communities shrunk or completely disappeared. And sometimes it was by force. I want to acknowledge that as well. Forced conversions and things like that. But the opposite is true as well, especially in regard to Jewish population size estimates in the ancient world. Um, when the Beis Hamikdash was around and there was Jewish sovereignty in the land of Israel. So there were all kinds of nations and tribes which were conquered by Jewish kings throughout that period of history and were often included in Jewish population estimates in the ancient, ancient world because they were part of this Jewish kingdom, this, this uh, you know, King David, King Solomon type of kingdom, or in the second base of Mikdash, in the in this in this uh, Hasmonean kingdom, so hence there is this big fluctuation because you know it's debatable whether those were truly Jews or they were just inside the Jewish kingdom and subsumed into that society. So, in the context of this episode, as you can already see, um, forced to go beyond uh, my normal comfort zone in the historical framework of this podcast, which I focus in which I focus on modern Jewish history and predominantly late modern Jewish history. In other words, the last two hundred years. Uh, but for the purposes purposes of this. We need to do a long view of this demographic story. We'll have to stretch way back to the inception of Jewish history, way into antiquity in the ancient world and the Middle Ages before finally getting back to the modern uh, era. So why is it my domain? Why, is, why am I doing, why, how do I have a right to even speak about uh, time periods of history which I'm not an expert on altogether? Because the main story of Jewish demographics, as well as world demographics, by the way, takes place in the modern era. So it's all just a means of getting to the modern era. Just It all serves as background of getting to the story of Jewish demographics in the modern era. In the 18th, and especially in the 19th century, there's this huge spike in population growth worldwide, especially in Europe, primarily a result of better hygiene and 
technological advances and advances in medicine, um, discoveries in medicine, and specifically regarding the Jewish people, the primary scene of this Jewish population explosion takes place in the 19th century in the Tsarist Russian Empire in the Pale of Settlement. And that's the main story I want to focus on. In addition, the way the Holocaust impacted Jewish demographics in a very sudden and dramatic fashion is another Jewish historical demographic story of the modern era. Finally, the Jewish community uh, today, reaching, not today, in the post-Holocaust era, uh, reaching the Jewish, the worldwide Jewish community, reaching almost negative population growth, especially in the, in the diaspora outside the state of Israel. Um, and then that's related, of course, to the question of Jewish identity, um, which demographers like to refer to it as the core Jewish population and the expanded Jewish population. So that's another fascinating story of Jews in the modern era. And that's obviously this, this um, negative population growth um, or, st- or stagnant population growth of the Jewish people today um, is, uh, is obviously a result of assimilation and intermarriage. So these last three features of modern Jewish demographics, let's review that, population explosion in the 19th century, the impact of the Holocaust, and assimilation and negative population growth uh, today in the 20th century are byproducts of catalysts and major historical events in the modern era, and so they are worthy of analysis here on the Jewish History Soundbites podcast. So why was there this major growth in the modern era? And the reasons for this growth were, I mean, you have to see again, how, how did it come to be that it was in Eastern Europe? And why, in the 19th century, did the Jewish population of Eastern Europe literally explode demographically? There's a lot of reasons, um, primarily uh, advances in medical technology in Europe and the main Jewish population, the largest Jewish population in Europe at the outset of this time period was in Eastern Europe. Western Europe had very small Jewish communities, and over the course of the 19th century, those communities very often, uh, at least portions of them assimilated. So the main Jewish population of the of the world, of Europe especially, in the 19th century is Eastern Europe. So these advances in medical technology, in fertility, in child mortality, in mother mortality during childbirth, in control of epidemics due to better understanding of hygiene, germ theory is discovered around that time, better eating habits, better understanding of how disease spreads and how to prevent it spreading, especially in child mortality, and I would say mother mortality in childbirth, which were two main real challenges of the pre-modern world that that affect uh, growth in population. Um, and those significantly decrease child mortality and mother mortality in childbirth um, significantly decrease in the 19th century. Um, and because of that, uh, it enables this explosion in the general population of Europe and especially the largest Jewish population in Europe uh, in the beginning of, the, of this modern era, which is in Eastern Europe. So the Jewish world of 1939 at the, on the eve of the Holocaust is world population, not European population, world population. They reach 16 and a half or so, not exactly, we don't know exactly, but approximately 16 and a half million Jews worldwide, which is the highest it's ever been recorded. 
since since uh, that we ever know of, unless we go back to um, you know uh, uh, some some Chazal descriptions, which we're not sure how to uh, interpret them exactly. But almost all of this population either lives in Eastern Europe or had recently emigrated from Eastern Europe, which is fascinating. And let's go through some of those numbers. There's 3.3 million Jews in Poland in 1939, another 3 million in the Soviet Union, a few hundred thousand in the Baltic states, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, Hungary and Romania, which is both Eastern Europe as well, account for another well over a million, and I'm saying them together because the borders changed a few times, so I want to be accurate, but well over a million between those two countries. And then, though that's literally living in Eastern Europe, so that's, you know, um, you know almost 8 million right there. And then you have uh, the largest Jewish community in the world at the, in 1939 was the United States of America, and um, until recently still was, I believe the state of Israel has more today, but again, about contemporary stuff, I may be off on the numbers. Um, but in 1939, it was by far the largest Jewish community in the world. Over 4 million Jews lived in America. Almost entirely were either immigrants or recent descendants of immigrants. I'm sorry, descendants of recent immigrants from Eastern Europe. Almost entirely. There were some descendants of German Jews from the 19th century and, of course, some from Sephardic Jews from previous centuries, but almost entirely came from Eastern Europe. So that would bring the number up to nearly 12 million. Much of Western European Jewry was also recent Jewish immigration from Eastern Europe, including in Germany, France, Belgium, England, um, most of the Jews in Argentina, South Africa, in Palestine itself, and other countries were also recent immigrants of Jews from Eastern Europe. So you're talking about the, the 16.5 million Jews was the highest ever recorded number of Jews in Jewish history, um, in 1939, and almost all of them come from Eastern Europe. In fact, the entire Sephardic, uh, no, Sephardic is an accurate term, or Jews of the Muslim world, in 1939, it counted for a bit over a million, a bit over a million Jews of the world Jewish population out of more than 16 million. So now we come to the Holocaust, and there's 6 million murdered in the Holocaust. So that brings down the worldwide Jewish population to approximately 11 million. Why not 10 and a half, you're asking? Uh, first of all, these are approximate. Second of all, all the other Jews around the world, including the millions who lived in the United States, continued to have children during the war, so it balanced it out a little bit. But, um, but uh, there, there's, uh, there, so that's a tremendous drop. Um, now, now, those today, like I said, it's about 14 million or so, something or another, um, and that means we still have not rebounded or recovered back to that 16.5 million of 1939. That's also due to the fact that there's basically negative population growth of the Jewish world outside of Israel due to intermarriage. Um, but demographers predict that in the next 30 years or so, we should be returning to the 1939 numbers. But there's another thing, that it's not really returning to 1939 numbers because we have to negate all the potential projected growth that now is lacking due to the absence of those 6 million. In other words, had the 6 million not been killed, we can project that there could have been easily more than 20, 25 million Jews today, if not for the Holocaust. So now, uh, 
like I said, so there's there's, there's a lot of uh, changes in Jewish demographics after the war. There's also the Jews of the Muslim lands and their migration to the state of Israel, which changes um, the Jewish world significantly. And then the growth, uh, population growth in the state of Israel and the, the changes of the Jewish makeup of the U.S. Jewish community. And more recent trend in Jewish demographics is the rising Orthodox birth rates and how, especially in the United States, and about how they're becoming a large, larger and larger percentage of the Jewish community. And that relates to the who is a Jew controversy and the law of return, because the law of return recognizes a lot more people as the right to come to immigrate to the state of Israel under the law of return than are actually Jews. So who is a Jew? And that's a question I'm not going to get into, both because it's political and because it's not the topic of today, perhaps at another time. Now, a lot of times people want to make a comparison to how come the Jews are not as numerous as the Chinese or the, in, or, or the Indians uh, in India. Um, because uh, there's this like assumption that since the Jews are this old, old nation um, uh, that have existed for so long, then we should be as numerous as them. So if we go back to year zero um, in the, on the Gregorian calendar, obviously, um, um, CE of the Common Era, so the Jews in, in around that time are, you know, uh, around the time of the Chorben Beis Hamikdash, uh, second Beis Hamikdash, they had been at the peak of the Hasmonean Era estimated over 4 million but it probably includes all these nations and tribes that the Hasmonean kings conquered and, and annexed to their kingdom in Israel. Um, so more likely is that what we see after the destruction of the Second Mesomikdash, that Jews were one and a half million, something like that. Um, that's how many Jews there were in the world after the destruction of the Second Mesomikdash. Well, at that time, there were about 35 million uh, people living in India. And there was even more living in China. There was 40, 50, 60 million, we don't know exactly. So that's the answer, all right? If we, and if we follow the trend uh, through history, in 1700, there were still only about 1.2 million Jews in the world. And I'm going to get back to that in a second. Um, and at this point, uh, there are um, about 140 million Indian uh, Indians uh, living in India, and there's uh, 130 million Chinese. Um, and then, of course, in the 18th and 19th centuries, the big growth for everyone, for Chinese, for Indians, and for Jews, but it's all relative. So the exponential growth obviously is related to how they uh, were at the at year zero, we'll say, it, at, at, year, uh, at year one in the Common Era. So I think that it's an unfair comparison to compare to Indians or Chinese, and we'll just uh, stick to what we are and be happy with that. Um, and I want to go to uh, describe some of the numbers uh, through the use of the data the, and the numbers that I obtained from Professor Sergio Della Pergola and his paper about um, about. Um, about Jewish, the history of Jewish demographics, he opens up, and I'm going to quote from here, this is the challenge of understanding these papers, this use of highfalutin academic language. He writes like this, the purpose of this paper is to describe some salient stages and processes in Jewish population history while trying to keep away from the obvious risk of circular argumentation. 
More specifically, I search for certain macro-historical and macro-social patterns which may have been underlying the demographic evolution of the Jews and the transmitted experience of Jewish peoplehood in the long run. Discussion of these fundamental issues may enhance the understanding of various associate and dependent processes, and he goes on. And he explains that once a subpopulation has been established, its changing size and internal structure will be determined at any moment by a complex of biological, social, and cultural factors. A, the balance between births and deaths. B, the balance between immigration and emigration. C, the balance between accessions of new members to the group and secessions of old ones from it. The dynamics of these socio-demographic and socio-cultural events ceaselessly affect the given group's composition according to a variety of relevant characteristics, namely age, gender, marital status, socioeconomic status, and cultural characteristics. Each of the latter personal traits in turn affects the likelihood of a given socio-demographic or socio-cultural event to occur. So if we come back using that information that he provided us, and we go back to the biblical account, and we know that the Torah tells us 70 people came down to Egypt. 210 years later, the same Torah tells us that there were 600,000 adult Jewish males, and a conservative estimate of the population total would be about 3 million plus. Okay, so that's a very, very significant growth from 70 to 3 million, 210 years. Okay, but then, very surprisingly, the same exact Torah provides us with almost zero growth over the next 40 years in the desert. Right? It's just slightly over 600,000 adult males 40 years later when they leave the desert. 603,000, I don't know the exact number. So the Torah is providing us with incredible, uh, accurate statistics and shows us that at times, such as when they lived in Egypt, there was huge population growth, whereas 40 years in the desert, there was basically zero population growth. So we see that even that the population growth fluctuates with time and a host of variables and circumstances and context. In fact, Professor Sergio Della Pergola points to three salient features of measuring historical Jewish population growth that he learns from the biblical narrative, which were to be somewhat constant measures of Jewish population growth in the ensuing millennia. And here I'm going to quote from him again. There are three relevant and fundamental principles that will all that will affect all the ensuing demographic experience of the Jews. A. The unequal pace of growth over time of Jewish population as a whole. B. The differential growth of different sections of the Jewish population at any given point in time, affecting the compositional characteristics of the whole group. What he means by B is that Shvatim grow at different paces. In other words, different Jewish communities grow at different paces as other Jewish communities. And C, international migration as a large-scale process affecting the location and characteristics of the Jews. And by that he means that the migration through the desert and the zero population growth. And that's going to happen throughout history. So if we would make a very synthetic generalization... um, There's this slow and steady development of total world population. There are three periods of major Jewish population growth, expansion. The first one is, uh, the first two are in antiquity. Um, uh, David HaMelech, again, this is Tanakh. He tells us that there were between two and two and a half million Jews. And again, it 
possibly includes non-Jews who are under Jewish rule, because it's about who is in the boundaries of the kingdom of Israel. That's one period. The second one is during the Hasmonean period, and uh, and they and there, there there seems to be four and a half million Jews during the right right preceding the destruction of the second base of Mikdash, and that also is presumably including many non-Jews around uh, the Mediterranean basin who are under the Hasmonean kingdom's influence. But uh, following the destruction of the base of Mikdash. The, there's a diminishing of the Jewish population down to one or one and a half million Jews um, or less. And most of this decrease is presumably due to the loss of a distinct Jewish identity and assimilation of large masses of Jews into the surrounding cultures, uh, Roman culture, later Christianity, later Islam. Um, and the la- next thousand years from the destruction of the Mesomiktash till the Middle Ages, uh, we can define as unstable stability, little major Jewish population change in the long run, accompanied by continuous and significant changes in the short run. High mortality due to general epidemics, wars, natural disasters, and more specifically focused expulsions to Jewish communities, mass murder, crusades, think about that, forced conversions of Jews, periodically wiped out Jewish population buildup that might have accumulated during more stable times. So most likely the Jewish population at the beginning of the 17th century is 1.1 million Jews, and that's equal, or maybe even a drop smaller, than that at the beginning, at the end of the 12th century. So there's almost zero population growth for over 500 years. Now the third population peak um, is modern era, what I spoke about before, uh, modernization, uh, its influences on the population processes, uh, declines in mortality and fertility, um, and that is all in Eastern Europe, like I said before. So, so the, the um, and those are the three times that it peaks, and that, of course, make, brings us to 1939, where it's 16.5 million Jews, the largest it's ever been recorded, until the Holocaust completely transforms Jewish demographics, a very dramatic and sudden change. So, for the purposes of bridging antiquity to the modern era regarding Jewish population demographics worldwide, I would like to take a step back and I would take the best estimation we have from the Middle Ages. And we use that as a benchmark and a comparison to bring, to connect antiquity to the Jewish world of the modern era. And that, of course, what statistics do we have from the Middle Ages about world Jewish population? That, of course, is the very famous travels of the legendary Jewish traveler and chronicler Benjamin of Tudela in the 12th century, 1170s. He provides estimates of the Jewish population of every place he visited, and even of those that he did not visit. And his figures are far from accurate, but it does provide the best snapshot we have of the Jewish population figures of that time period, um, with uh, where there is no real census data until the uh, modern era. So here's Sergio della Pergola again on Benjamin of Tudela's figures. Um, he says like this, um, Benjamin de Tudela's a travel itinerary from around the year 1170 probably provides the most comprehensive description of the geographical distribution and main characteristics of Jewish population in the world of the Middle Ages. Generally considered authentic and reliable withstanding the scrutiny of modern historiography, at least for those locales he 
unquestionably visited, the Tudela provides plenty of statistical data. Some of these can be accepted at face value. Some others surely need some adjustment. Now, if you take a look at the figures presented by the Tudela, so the Jewish world in the year 1170 is hovering around a million, likely a drop more, 1.2 million. That's the whole Jewish population in 1170, and it would remain so until the 1700s. And not only that, but there's only about 150,000 Jews living in Europe. Um, and the rest are almost all the rest, about 900,000 Jews living in Asia, either in the Middle East or the Arabian Peninsula or Iran, Central Asia, India, he, he guesses a large Jewish population, um, or in Africa, you know, there's uh, 40,000 Jews in Egypt, Libya, Tunisia, and then another 30,000 in Morocco at the time. So, but the huge Jewish populations, including very unrealistic numbers, he's guessing that there's nearly a half a million Jews on the Arabian Peninsula, which we don't have recorded anywhere. It actually makes no sense. But if we assume he's wrong, that means we have to adjust the numbers downwards and assume there was much fewer Jews in the world altogether. It means a lot less than a million. Um, so, so those are, are some of the numbers that he, that he brings. Now, after we make these adjustments, so it comes out to be about 1.2 million Jews in the year 1170, and about 80% of them, like I said, are on, in Asia. Now, some of D. Tudela's figures, uh, like I said, the one that in the Arabian Peninsula, they do seem unreliable and uh, they don't make that much sense. But the ones he say about Constantinople and Baghdad, they do seem very reliable, and he did visit most of those communities, and he generally was quite reliable. Um, so, so that's a very interesting snapshot that we have of Jewish life in the Middle Ages. Um, um, and then slowly over the next coming centuries, there's this shift from the Middle East, there's this shift from Asia. The Asian Jewish communities either completely disappear, or they're very much shrunken, and the and the weight of Jewish history and Jewish demographics and Jewish population growth shifts to Europe. Um, first to Western Europe, and then with all those expulsions from Western Europe at the end of the Middle Ages, over the course of the Middle Ages, then it shifts to Eastern Europe. Um, and, and there's this crucial point that from 1170 until early 1700s, a period of over 550 years, the world total Jewish population remains at around 1.2 million. In other words stable and zero growth over a period of over five centuries. And then, of course, the 18th century, slow and steady growth, and then an exponential growth population explosion in the 19th century. Um, and that all takes place in Eastern Europe. So if we take a look at Eastern Europe's numbers for a second, there's 25,000 Jews living in Eastern Europe in 1300, 50,000 Jews living there in 1490, that's two years before the Spanish expulsion, 250,000 Jews living there after Tachvetat, after the Chmelnitsky massacres of Tachvetat, and 910,000 in 1764 at the time of the major census of Polish Jewry in the last years of the old Polish kingdom. By 1825, there's two and a quarter million Jews living in Eastern Europe, and then there's Five and a half million in 1880 and over eight and a half million in 1900, and that's after 20 years even of emigration from Eastern Europe. Eastern Europe is not just Poland, obviously, it's all the countries of Eastern Europe, like I said before. Um, so there's, 
there's there's lots lots to say um, lots more to say about about how Jewish population grew in the modern era and how does it compare to the general population growth growth in Europe during that same time? Do Jews grow at a faster pace or not? Um, and there's uh, a lot lot more to say about that. But I hope this brought some clarity um, of the story of Jewish demographics throughout history and especially the major Jewish population growth in the modern era. So this is Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at Yehuda at YehudaGeber.com for questions, comments, sources, tours, trips, sponsorships, and lectures. You can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on your favorite podcast app, and I hope you enjoyed.